This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, this is a bizarre and rather frightening story out of Portland, Oregon Station KATU writing about this off-duty pilot. Have you heard about this? Facing 83 attempted murder charges after trying to, or allegedly, trying to shut off the engines of a plane. Joe Emerson. He was riding in the cockpit, but he wasn't the authorized pilot. He was just hitching a ride. According to Alaska Airlines, unsuccessfully attempted to disrupt the operation of the engines. And he's been hit with a criminal complaint. What he was doing was trying to pull the handle on the fire suppression system used to stop engine fires and shut off fuel to the engines. This is exactly what you don't want in mid-flight. One of the other pilots grabbed Emerson. There was a struggle for about 30 seconds. Uh, court documents say he wasn't able to fully pull down the handles. If he had, quote, it would have shut down the hydraulics and the fuel to the engines, turning the aircraft into a glider within seconds. Then he wandered uh, to the back of the plane and told the flight attendant, you need to cuff me right now or it's going to be bad. I'm not okay. Told police he was having a nervous breakdown, hadn't slept for 40 hours, and felt dehydrated and tired. All right, glad everybody's okay on that flight, huh? Um, by the way, we talked so much about the Republican race. President Biden is not going to have his name appear on the New Hampshire primary ballot because of this ongoing fight where New Hampshire lost its first in the nation primary status on the Democratic side. And if it proceeds with its contest, which it seems prepared to do, um, it may not be able to send delegates to the convention. So the White House confirming that Biden won't be on it, meaning anybody... There's one congressman who's thinking of challenging him, really won't be able to use New Hampshire as a launching pad because you can't strut around no matter how many votes you get and say, I beat Biden if Biden's not on the ballot. Okay, story number one. This is hysterical because I can't keep up with the House Speaker's race because it's such a disjointed jumble of events that, uh, you know, yesterday, for example, I do a daily radio commentary for Fox News radio stations called Media Minute. So I've got to boil it down to 60 seconds. Not the unlimited time or near unlimited time that I have here. So I do the radio bit. I file for radio and I say, Tom Emmer is now the speaker designate and can he get 217 votes on the floor? Literally five minutes later, I look at the web again, or Twitter, I don't remember, and Emmer's out. He lasted four flippin' hours. Got the nomination of the GOP in that secret ballot. Four hours later, he withdraws. 
Donald Trump had a lot to do with that. Uh, some conservative House Republicans didn't like some of Ember's record I mentioned. Uh, not sure if I mentioned yesterday because I have a lot of uh, platforms here. But he voted, he didn't vote to challenge the 2020 Electoral College results. He has voted for codifying same-sex marriage. And he also supports aid to Ukraine. Well, that those positions are not real popular with the MAGA wing of the party. So I guess he counted votes and figured he, he can't come anywhere near 217. So then I'll read from the Washington Post story. House Republicans elected two speaker designates in the span of 10 hours yesterday, but they failed again to fully unite the conference around a new leader. This is three weeks now that the House has been paralyzed. Emma removed himself after former President Donald Trump lobbed a forceful rebuke. Let's, let's just throw in here what the forceful rebuke was. Oh, Trump posted something uh, calling him a globalist rhino and that for the House to elect him as Speaker would be a tragic mistake. He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the breadth and scope of MAGA. Okay, so Emmer gets knocked out. Then, late yesterday, there's yet another vote. I know, you can't, you need like a scorecard like for baseball to write all these down. And Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana becomes the fourth nominee. You can see how valuable this nomination is because nobody ends up getting the job. Becomes the fourth nominee uh, to be approved, I guess is the right word, in a closed-door session of House Republicans. He had to run against several people, including Byron Donalds. So Johnson, who you may never have heard of, he's a lawyer, former radio host, a close ally of Trump. In fact, Congressman Johnson served on the former president's legal defense team during both of his impeachment trials in the Senate. And he also contested the results of the 2020 election. So you just have it pinging back and forth. If it's somebody who's a Trump loyalist, they get blocked by the moderates. If it's somebody who doesn't have Trump's backing and may even, in the, as in the case of Emmer, supported the lawful election of Joe Biden, he gets blocked by the conservative hardliners. It's just like a game of ping pong going back and forth. Without a clear path forward, said the Washington Post, more Republicans are privately signaling their support for resolution that would empower Patrick McHenry, the interim speaker who really has no power, to um, do things like pass legislation, or at least preside over the passing of legislation, until early next January. Now, that was thought to be a total non-starter, after, I don't know, a couple, it was a couple of nominees ago, and it got shot down very quickly. But the Republicans may be more desperate now. I mean, this has just become a clown show, 
And don't take my word for it. Just listen to what all the Republicans are saying. They were embarrassed. We look awful. Now, the earlier Washington Post story said that Emmer uh, was going to try to win over the holdouts. He had to win over about 20 holdouts to get to 217 on the floor. Well, that lasted long. Now, by the time you hear my words, maybe Mike Johnson will have been defeated. Maybe he'll become speaker. There may be a vote today. It's not clear. But since he's such a close ally of Trump, remember, four Republicans vote against him. You haven't got a speaker. Unbelievable. Now, here's an earlier political story. Tom Emmer is determined to avoid the same fate as the GOP speaker picks before him. Yet two dozen Republicans are already standing in the way. Um, another uh, congressman said, if Emmer, asked if Emmer could get to 217, I thought he could, but apparently he can't. So this is before the end of the four hours when he pulled out. Oh, Mike Jan- uh, Johnson... Now, the fourth nominee for this position spoke briefly to the press. And a reporter asked about his opposition to the 2020 Electoral College certification of Biden. And the Republicans, some of them, started booing the reporter and told the reporter to shut up. (laughs) If all of this sounds like the third or fourth grade, that's what it looks like to the rest of the world. And, you know, I'm laughing here and it's just, you know, uh, can anybody here play this game? And some people think the Republicans just don't want to govern. They just want to fight endlessly. But this is serious stuff because no aid to Israel, no aid to Ukraine, nothing, nothing can pass the House until there is a speaker. And just wait for this. This will be the kicker. Um... Wait a second, where is that quote? It's such a funny quote, I want to share it with you. Okay, here it is. Congressman Bill Huzenga, I hope I pronounced that correctly, from Michigan, said, after Emmer had gotten the nod, I don't want us to go out there in front of the entire world, puke on our shoes again. That's what we've been doing. Let's get our poop in a group, people. (laughs) I don't even know what exactly that part means, but like, let's stop screwing up. Okay, so here's the kicker to this whole thing. There's now something of a movement. It may be a fantasy or it could get some traction. Who knows? To go back to reinstating Kevin McCarthy, who, by the way, lost his speaker's job when eight Republicans voted against him If he had won four over, he would have still be speaker. But the twist here in the plot is that McCarthy, and maybe he's just doing this through allies, but sending a clear message, he wants to run sort of as a joint ticket with Jim Jordan. And Jordan would be assistant speaker. Now, the only thing I feel obliged to tell you is there is no such job as assistant speaker. The number two House Republican, it's called the majority leader or whoever, whichever party controls the House. Um, but 
it is an interesting coalition effort because, you know, McCarthy basically had support of almost all the Republican Party, but here is a sop, I guess you'd say, to the right-wingers saying, look, one of yours will be my right-hand guy, Jim Jordan. Will it work? Probably not, but maybe. Who knows? I mean, this is like the craziest political game I've ever seen. But it would just be so ironic if after all of this uh, maneuvering and wrangling and embarrassment and paralysis and gridlock, if they wound up again with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Story two. Israeli military saying today that it had bombed Hamas positions in wide-scale strikes in Gaza and had fended off rocket attacks from Syria. Why is Syria getting involved, or is this a terrorist group within Syria? Meanwhile, the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, called Israel's airstrikes in the Gaza Strip collective punishment of Palestinians and called for a ceasefire, which Israel obviously totally rejected, and the United States uh, quickly rejected. Israeli officials called for Guterres to resign, and meetings with him were canceled. So that never would have gotten through the Security Council because of pressure from Arab countries. And the U.S. saying that the move would only benefit Hamas. In other words, let's stop the retaliation by Israel to the awful Hamas atrocities that started this war before Israel has a real chance to fight back. Well, it's fighting back. Um, And then you have, you know, every day Hamas, which controls the government in Gaza, you know, announcing new uh, casualty figures, which may be true and may not be true. Who knows? This is a terrorist group that doesn't exactly have a reputation for honesty. Now, I want to get to the release of these two elderly women one an 85-year-old grandmother, the other uh, 79 years old. And just stop for a second. You know, Hamas has got about 220 hostages. They released these two women. Just stop for a second and think about this. What civilized group of people, what people who have any sense of humanity whatsoever, would kidnap and hold hostage an 85-year-old grandmother. I mean, we just now sort of take it for granted. Well, you know, okay, they released these two elderly women. I mean, it's beyond barbaric. Is she a threat to Gaza? Or is she just a bargaining chip among the many bargaining chips that Hamas has seized? Okay, so her name is Yakoved Lifshitz. She's a peace activist who lives in a kibbutz. And it was just heartrending to watch what she had to say 
with her daughter as her translator. I went through hell, Lifshitz said. She's speaking from a wheelchair in a faltering voice. She said that she was in the Hamas tunnel network, which she called a spider web. Um, she said, we walk for kilometers underground and then we're put in rooms large enough to contain dozens of people. She also had said that, if I'm getting this right, that when she was first captured, she was kind of beaten with a stick or sticks. 85-year-old woman. But once she was placed in captivity, she said they were treated well. Um, doctor arrived, make sure that she got her medication. They gave her, uh, you know, shampoo and feminine hygiene products. But they only, the same as the guards, they got to eat a single meal each day. Pita bread, two kinds of cheese, and cucumber. And her grandson said that she would have to remain in the hospital for now. We need a lot of time to recover from this. Both of these elderly women, by the way, their husbands are still being held hostage. So it's just sickening, in my view. Absolutely sick. I mean, I love the fact that they were released, but how on earth is it they were taken in the first place? Um, Story number three, interesting New York Times piece saying that, leads off by saying, last week at least a dozen people surrounded the home of a left-wing Israeli commentator who had expressed concern about civilian deaths in Gaza, shouting traitor and firing flares in his direction. This week, a uh, prominent right-wing activist posted a video of himself shouting at and threatening members of a TV crew that was filming Israeli soldiers. Other journalists say they are getting threats and being harassed on social media. In Israel, many journalists are covering the war while processing their own grief and shock over the surprise attacks by Hamas. Some lost relatives in the attacks. But some Israeli journalists and supporters of the press say that covering the war has become even more difficult because of the vitriol they have received from fellow Israelis who've been upset by their questioning of the country's actions. Expressing dissenting opinions has become even more fraught than in previous conflicts, said um, uh, an official at the Union of Journalists, an Israeli organization with 1,500 members. It has a chilling effect, this person said. Journalists and media experts attributed the change to several factors. The attacks by Hamas have been especially traumatizing for Israelis, obviously. The media environment has grown more polarized in recent years. Same thing here in America. And the spread of misinformation, particularly on WhatsApp and social media platforms like Facebook and X, has intensified existing viewpoints. There are fewer people, said the director of the Center of Middle East Policy at Brookings in Washington, voicing opposition to the Israeli operation. There is more vitriol toward those who do. Uh, another commentator is, is, who has questioned 
the government strategy about the missteps and misdoings uh, says she feels a responsibility to keep doing that, even though she gets a lot of pushback on social media. So, you know, Israel is a democracy with a very vibrant free press, but given the nature of the war, the way it got started, the atrocities, and the feeling that Israel is fighting for its survival, uh, clearly there's a lot less tolerance, even by, not just by activists, but by fellow journalists, for those who either criticize or at least question the Netanyahu's government's uh, approach. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story number four, a whole lot of big news on the Donald Trump front. You know, I wrote a column today. You heard a lot of this yesterday when I went through all the negative pieces that are being written about every Trump rival. Tim Scott, uh, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, which is sort of a backdoor way for the media to say Trump's got this nomination locked up, or just about, with this huge lead in the polls. But meanwhile, his legal problems are mounting. ABC, with an exclusive story, that everybody's picked up and nobody has confirmed, says that Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff, Trump's last chief of staff, a loyalist who wrote a book um, defending his ex-boss, has now been granted immunity in the federal case, the investigation of voter fraud has testified before a grand jury with that immunity and has said he told President Trump that his claims of voter fraud in 2020 were baseless. But they still tried to overturn the election. ABC citing unnamed sources is saying uh, Meadows um, did this in exchange for immunity. ABC's Jonathan Carl tweeting, and by the way, Meadows is under indictment in Georgia, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Carl saying Mark Meadows has testified before a grand jury in exchange for immunity, according to sources familiar with the former chiefs of staff's conversations with the special counsel. Meadows told prosecutors he agreed the 2020 election was the most secure in American history and repeatedly told Trump, he now says, in the weeks after the election, that the allegations of significant voting fraud coming to them were turning out to be baseless. Obviously, we didn't win, is a quote attributed to Meadows. Uh, so he basically also is disavowing much of what he wrote in that book. Now, Meadows' lawyer came out with a statement last night saying, well, this is not exactly right, sort of disputing it without flatly denying all of it. But, you know, if he wanted to deny it, he would say no. Mark Meadows doesn't have immunity. No, Mark Meadows hasn't testified before a grand jury. So of all the people who have turned on Trump, New York Post has a, a headline today, cover story, you know, they're all turning against Trump with pictures of the various people, um, including Kenneth Chesborough, including Jenna Ellis. Now here is a Washington Post piece on Jenna Ellis, she was on TV a lot. She was on Fox a lot, defending Donald Trump and arguing that, in fact, the election was stolen. She pleaded guilty yesterday to 
to illegally conspiring to overturn Trump's 2020 election loss in Georgia. So she now becomes the third attorney in the Georgia case to flip, accept a plea deal with no jail time, and agreeing to testify. She'd been facing two Georgias, uh, two charges in Georgia under the Anti-Racketeering Act. This is a RICO case. She pleaded guilty to a single felony of aiding and abetting false statements and writings. There she gets probation, and she could provide evidence that could implicate other, def- other defendants. We'll see how much she first-hand information she has about Trump. But she worked very closely with Rudy Giuliani, who is another very prominent defendant in the case. The plea marks the first time a senior Trump aide has admitted to and been held criminally accountable for making false statements that the 2020 presidential election was tainted by widespread fraud. And there's video in that Georgia courtroom, and she rather tearfully said that she felt deep remorse for doing what she did. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges, says Jenna Ellis. She gets 100 hours of community service, has to pay a $5,000 fine. And Sidney Powell, of course, is the other prominent ex-Trump attorney to take a plea. So will there be more among the original 19 defendants? I think probably, or maybe only those who get in early get to avoid jail time. I mean, anybody who's charged in this case has got to be thinking, do I want to go to trial here with other of my former colleagues or you know, just former Trump aides taking plea bargains where they're going to testify to varying extents against the former president? Do I want to risk going to jail? That's a decision each one will have to make. So she worked closely with Rudy, traveling to battleground states, including Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. She spoke to lawmakers, urged them to reject the popular vote results. She also wrote memos for Trump about how Pence, Mike Pence could overturn the election, which he couldn't legally. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I to provide me with true and reliable information, says Jenna Ellis. What I didn't do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure the facts that the other lawyers alleged were in fact true. So, Trump has um, responded on True Social about the earlier pleas by Sidney Powell, by Kenneth Chesborough, saying, look at what happened this weekend with two good people. They hound them, they being prosecutors, and they scare them, but we don't get scared. And here's the reason I'm mentioning this. I'll tell you what, I don't mind being Nelson Mandela because I'm doing it for a reason. We've got to save our country from these fascists, these lunatics we're dealing with. They're horrible people. This is the second time in recent days that Donald Trump has brought up the notion that he might have to go to jail, which with four separate cases obviously is true. But it's clearly on his mind. Now, is the Mandela comparison, uh, I'll say far-fetched in an effort not to 
be too uh, spun up about this. But the fact that he brought up Nelson Mandela means this is very much on his mind. A former president of the United States is sort of acknowledging and sort of doing an advance commentary on the fact that he might end up behind bars. And that may not happen. There may be problems with each of these cases. But that's what the former president says. And also yesterday, I told you there was a lot of Trump news. Trump himself was in back at the Manhattan courthouse in the New York state civil fraud trial against him and his company, where Michael Cohen, his longtime lawyer, longtime fixer, who turned on him early on, ended up getting indicted uh, for two different crimes, ended up spending time in prison. He took the witness stand and he told the judge that President Trump ordered him to falsify financial documents. Um, I was tasked by Mr. Trump, says Michael Cohen, who I interviewed, who I talked to over the phone a few times, uh, both when he was a Trump loyalist and after he turned on Trump, uh, to increase the total assets based on a number that he arbitrarily selected. As uh, Cohen was delivering the testimony, Trump glowered at him. His face grew red, according to news accounts. Um, Cohen didn't look at him. For five years, they've been at odds. Trump has called Michael Cohen a liar and a rat. And Trump told reporters outside the courthouse, I haven't seen him in years, and you know his record. His record is a horrible one. But they're just starting. You'll see how it ends up. It's not going to end very good for him. We're not worried at all about his testimony. Cohn told reporters, uh, this is not about Michael Cohn and Donald Trump. It's about accountability. He testified that Trump would call him into his office, uh, would look at the total assets and say, I'm actually not worth $4.5 billion. I'm really worth more like six, okay? And then Trump would order Cohn and Alan Weisselberg, who also has uh, been convicted, former CFO of the Trump Organization. They'd go to Weisselberg's office and return after they had, you know, cooked the books, so to speak. Now, cross-examination. Trump lawyer Alina Haba, or Haba, excuse me, asked about his past convictions. Did you lie to Judge Pauly? Yes, said Cohn. So you have lied under oath numerous times? Yes, said Cohn. You know, an obvious attempt to chip away at his credibility that any, that any um, competent defense lawyer would, would undertake. There are a lot of trials where one of the bad guys, and I'm just saying that because Cohn was twice convicted, flips and then turns on a bigger bad guy, alleged. And that's what's happening here in this trial. All right, number five. Here's a CNBC report on a bipartisan group of 42 attorneys general now suing Meta, the, the owner of Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram, alleging that features on Facebook and Instagram are addictive and are aimed at kids and teens. 
So this lawsuit was announced yesterday. 42 AGs, that's almost everyone in the country. Men is now facing multiple lawsuits on this issue. Some filing federal cases, some filing in their own states. Among the uh, states, um, New York, California, Colorado, Louisiana, Nebraska, South Carolina, Washington, and Wisconsin, all very different political makeup in those particular states. So this is a tough time in America, says Tennessee AG Jonathan Scrimetti. We have polarization, the likes of which we have not seen since the Civil War. And so for all the attorneys general from both parties, people who very frequently disagree very vocally and very publicly to come together and move in the uh, same direction, I think that says something. Not the first time that state attorneys general have teamed up to go after META. Back in 2020, 48 states and territories sued the company on antitrust grounds. So this harkens back to former Facebook employee Francis Haugen causing this uproar in 2021, not just among lawmakers, but among parents according to the CNBC report, and I remember this vividly, after leaking internal documents from the company run by Mark Zuckerberg that revealed internal research on its products, one set of document about Instagram's impact on teens found that, quote, 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. The Wall Street Journal reported before, while Haugen was, you know, an unnamed source, um, Instagram said it was working on ways to pull users away from dwelling on negative topics. But how hard is Facebook really um, working to do that? I mean, look, if you look at it from one perspective, it's a company that's trying to reach uh, more users and get them to stay on the platform. Now, that doesn't sound so sinister. But if these users are teens and children, and they're being emotionally manipulated, one can see where there might be room for lawsuits or other action against Meta. And uh, I do think it says something that most of the attorneys general in this country want this to stop. Many, I'm sure, have grappled with this in their own families. Uh, And kids spend a lot of time on Instagram, uh, maybe less on Facebook now. And it is a place where, you know, A lot of kids get bullied or they see women with perfect bodies that are not realistic. And that's, I think, why we have such a broad-based lawsuit. I really wanted to get to that story because it's the kind of story that can get overshadowed in a time of war and political turmoil in Congress. So thanks for sticking around till the end, if you have. Uh, Always appreciate your time. We will be back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 